Boom. Well, hello everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hip. And I am Father Peter Musset. Oh, Father Peter's not feeling well today, so he's no fun. No, I'm not fun, but you're not fun either, dude. Like, you were like, welcome, hello, everybody. Did you even hear my introduction? It was beautiful, but you sound sick. Well, we're both sick. That doesn't that doesn't stop us. We're fighters. We're soldiers. We're f- dude, we're soldiers. We're we're, we're working hard for the kingdom, man. You That's how we roll. Believe it. We're still apart from each other. I we looked at each other on uh, on the internets, but the, inter- the yeah. internets. But for I'm like in England. Minute. Yeah, just for a minute. I'm in England still. I'm in Oxford at the moment, studying and writing and doing some research, presenting some papers and stuff. Father Peter's back in Boulder, feeling ill in a hoodie. <laughs> In his rocking chair, I'm yeah, sipping tea myself. Yeah, that's how we roll. I'm drinking. I'm drinking water, and I have some sort of weird, like elderberry lozenge in my throat. Red Bull? No, I, I dude, I'm not. I'm not eating sugar anymore, man. At all? At all, nothing. And I'll tell you that um, um, it's totally insane because like I I like tried to uh, have some vitamin C the other day, and uh-huh. the number one ingredient on all vitamin C is sugar. Really. At least the vitamin C I had in the house. Well, I mean, some sugars are good. I mean, uh, an orange is sugar. Well, yeah, I, I'm eating natural sugars. I'm not eating yeah. processed like cane sugar, refined sugar. Yeah, you know. nobody got time for that. Well, except me. Ain't nobody got time for that. Well, and your tea. I did put sugar in my tea. It felt like a very British thing to do to have tea with the podcast. It's very late here for me. It's very early for you there. So things are weird. Yeah, hey man, we're just in different time zones. I have to say that um, just recently, um, uh, Pope Francis came out with a homiletic directory. Did he? Re- yeah, and it it were goes we through like. Well, no, this is the thing: is that I was reading. I I read the homiletic directory they sent out to this priest with like this mystery link or whatever. Okay. And um, and like it's super awesome. It is like so good, and I actually feel proud of myself because I'm I'm like actually thinking and willing with the church already before we even before the church even asked for it. So like Dude. this podcast is helping people to institute the homiletic directory that Pope Francis has has uh, commissioned the church to live out. It's really sweet. So he should have cited us. But no, dude, they, they could have put um, Lanky Guys into the homiletic directory, and it would have been totally epic. It's like an appendix. Man, I can't believe yeah. they didn't. Oh, well. That's that's okay. Well, dude, I'll call, I'll call Pope Francis. He'll probably call me back, too, which is the crazy part. No, he might. Yeah, so watch out. Watch what you say. Watch what we say on the dude, podcast. He might be listening. If there dude, was ever a chance of a pope listening, it's this one. If anybody ever wants to do a translated version of the Lanky Guys into any language at all, you let us know, and we'll give you advanced copies of our work by like two hours. And yeah, you guys I was, can translate. I was it. gonna say advanced copies. We're not very advanced <laughs> in the production of these suckers. <laughs> it's weird. I've got all these headsets so I can do the podcast. So I'm hearing myself twice, and I'm really annoyed by myself and my voice. Oh man! So well, I, why don't you turn down the one on the computer? Oh, I guess I could do that. Yeah. All right. Dude, well, so one while of the, I do that, one of the, yeah, I'm going to tell you guys just w- about one more thing. Okay. And and then this goes to the heart of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. In in um, paragraph 19 of the homiletic directory, okay. it says this. It says that um, 
precisely because of the unity of the whole of Scripture, connections between the second reading can often be found with the Old Testament and the Gospel. Thus, the homilist insistently invi- is, is, is insistently invited by the lectionary to see the biblical readings as mutually revelatory. Boom! Boom! That's exactly the whole project of Lanky Guys. That is the whole project of the Lank. That's awesome. It is. Yeah, it's it's super awesome because this is not a homily, and I it like this is this is everything going into the homily. So it helps brothers study, it helps lady like study, and because the homily really is not supposed to be catechesis or biblical exegesis, um, even though it has elements of catechesis and biblical exegesis or oh. thematic topics. But at its heart, it's an exposition on the unity of the of the scriptures and how they're mutually revelatory within the context of the liturgy, pointed towards the Eucharist and divine. Um, uh, acquisition of our souls. So boom. I just have to say, like, boom, what's up? Boom, what up? Well, speaking <laughs> of acquisition of our souls, let's talk about the reading. So it is the second Sunday. We've made it one week and a half, right? Well, I've yep. hopefully you have. I guess we're only at the one week point when we're recording this. But hopefully you've all made it a week and a half. And our first reading for the second Sunday of Lent comes from Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 2. Jump! ahead to verse 9a, jumping ahead again to chat verse 10 to 13, jumping one more time to verse 15 through 18. We call this Genesis hopscotch. <coughs> Genoscotch. Wait, that sounds yes. weird. That really does. It's that that's that's going to be the name of a liquor that you can produce. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a homebrew or something. Yeah. Then our um, our psalm is Psalm one sixteen, uh-huh. uh, uh, verses ten, mm-hmm. then fifteen uh, through nineteen. Really, so that's, Ew, that's th- this. That's just kind of how they they just did it some some stuff in the row. And our response is verse nine. Nine. Niner. Nine times. Nine. Times. Oh, nine Ferris Bueller's times. Day Off. I got it. That's now we're living, dude. You can't beat me. All right, our second reading is Romans. Chapter 8, verse 31b through 34. Awesome. And then our gospel today is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 10, the transfiguration, yo. Transfiguration. All right. Well, okay. Uh, you, did you study? I did study. Okay. Me too. D- I, it, the common thread is, um, is eluding me at the moment. Well, this is this is the thing: is the Old Testament and the apostolic writing of of Romans. Kay. Those two fit together really well. But then I have no idea how the uh, ye old transfiguration figures into this, except for there's a mountain. So okay, we yeah, there's a mountain <laughs> in both cases. <laughs> <laughs> there's a both both a mountain. So maybe maybe we can figure out some mountainous yeah. mountainous regions going on and and stuff. But let's just jump okay. into Genesis. Yeah. So the Genesis. So we had Genesis last week too, right? So the last week we talked yep. about Noah. So we're kind of talking about the patriarchs here in Lent. <coughs> oh boy, excuse me, I coughed right into the mic. I'm we're both sick. We already said that. Okay. Um yep. Genesis. So yeah, so we're looking at Abraham. This is kind of toward the end of the story of Abraham. And what we're seeing from Abraham is that this is this well, how do I say this? How do you sum up Abraham? Right? So he was this guy, God called him to leave his home, his family, his kindred, his his place. And to go to a place that he hadn't revealed to him yet. So basically, go rent the U-Haul, pack it with all your stuff, and start driving down I-25, and I'll tell you where to get off. It was basically what God told him, right? 
<laughs> oh, well, that was a soft Abs- laugh. Come on, that was hilarious. No, it's a hilarious was, analogy. Dude, hilarious. you're so funny, I can't even handle it. Oh, oh hush. All right, so anyway, <laughs> Moses. No, not I, Moses. I turned away from the microphone. I did laugh. Whatever. I did laugh. Okay, Abraham, so Abraham is who we're talking about, in case you're wondering. Yeah, so so there's Abe driving the U-Haul. And basically, basically, Abraham's story is this. God asks him to trust him with his life. And Abraham is asked throughout the course of his, his journey to tr- – well, so Abraham, my, my, our friend Tom Smith <coughs> – excuse me. Our friend Tom Smith always compares Abraham to um, a heart monitor at a hospital, right? So it's, it's the constant up and down. So sometimes he's doing really well. Sometimes he just does terrible. So he's constantly on this up and down motion with his fidelity with what, to what God wants him to do. But here's the point of the story. Moses – God – why do I keep saying Moses? God – Ask Abraham at the beginning to entrust entrust him with his past, so to speak. He says, I want you to leave behind everything that you have known. Leave behind your home, your family, your land, everything that you have known. I want you to give that over to me, and I want you to start moving. And then he asked asked Abraham to trust him with his present. And he says, you know, you don't know where you're headed. Love me in this moment and follow me every step, even though you don't know where this is all headed. Follow me right here. And right now, he promises, you know, that Abraham's going to have a child, that he's going to have a son. So when we meet Abraham, he and his wife Sarai are both, uh, they're both old, and they haven't had offspring, which is what they're wanting. He wants, you know, progeny. He wants, he wants to see his descendants. And throughout this whole story, God promises him, yeah, you're going to have descendants. And at one point he even says they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the stand, sand on the seashore. But you just can't see them yet. So this whole underlying story with the whole story of Abraham kind of going after where God is leading him is, is he going to trust God? Is he going to trust God with everything? And, you know, there's all sorts of times where he doesn't. He runs away from God at one point. He goes down to Egypt. He, you know, puts a whole disease on the whole family of Pharaoh. He tries to give up his wife at one point. He sleeps with his maidservant. He has an affair. I mean, he's a mess. He's just a disaster. But through it all, God keeps kind of calling himself, calling him back. And eventually, after many, many years, God finally blesses Abraham with this son that he's been waiting for after all these ups and downs, all these things, all this journey, all these hardships. He finally gets the son that God has been promising for decades, literally, because you get Abraham's age in each major section of his story. So for decades and decades and decades, he's been hoping for this. He finally comes. Then we have Isaac. And then God comes to him and says, Abraham. And he says, here am I. And then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love, oh, the one you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and there you shall offer him up as a holocaust on the height that I will point to you. So basically, what's the story? God asked Abraham to to trust him with his past, leave your family and your house and your land, trust me with your present right now, even though you don't know where you're going, follow me in my steps. Now, he's asking Abraham to trust him with his future. The son that you wanted, these descendants that are yet to come, all these things I promised you were going to happen, are you willing to trust me even with that? Are you willing to hand all that over to me? And that's kind of our setup. Does that make Dude, sense? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's like so critical, this moment of surrender that God asks Abraham. Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's, this is... It, yeah, go for it. No, no, no I, you, you had something going. Well, I have a lot, and partially, I mean, this is kind of a long past. So we've, I don't know if we've talked on this podcast before, but you and I have definitely talked about this. 
So the deal is, you know, we all kind of, well, most of us probably know this story, right? So Abraham gathers up Isaac and he takes him, hey, we're going on a hike, buddy. You know, we're going up to the mountains and they go on this hike. And it's unclear if Abraham, or if, if Isaac really knows what's going on as they're on their way up the mountain. But here's the thing. <coughs> as they're going up this mountain, on the top of which Abraham is supposed to sacrifice his son, we're told that it's actually Isaac who's carrying the wood that's going to be used for the fire and stuff. But, but here's the kicker of this whole story. I mentioned at the beginning that you can kind of go through Genesis and track how old Abraham is in each kind of stage of this story. And one of the things you find out, if you kind of follow the ages of both Abraham and his wife Sarah very closely, that when Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him, I mean, the image I always had in my head when I was younger was this image of this old, older guy, you know, this big strapping, big strapping Abraham and his little, little bitty son, Isaac, who he's going to take up there and he's going to do this. But the reality is, if you follow the numbers, Abraham, or Isaac, rather, is in his 30s. Abraham is oh, yeah. well over 100, right? So yeah. you got a really, really old man and then a young, you know, virile 30-something-year-old carrying a bunch of wood on top of this huge mountain. I mean, you have to kind of ask yourself, who would have the upper hand in this situation? Is it the 100-year-old man or is it the 30-year-old, you know, young guy? And it changes the story a little bit. It does. And one of the things that I think is just really important even to say at the beginning, and I, yeah, everybody, we're really sorry about all the coughing for we're this podcast. We're a disaster. We're a we disaster. Really but you know what? This is but, what you get but, when you listen to a podcast where we don't miss a week ever. Yeah, exactly. And uh, even across the pond. And so uh, one of the things I think is important, I had I had the most intense experience of typology that I've ever had particularly with this passage where what we're looking at is we're looking at um, an icon of Christ, a prophecy in action form about what we can expect with the Messiah. So everything that we're talking about is pointing towards Christ. So we're looking at a 30-year-old man with an old man, and we have an icon of what the father is doing with his own son. And that's we're going we're gonna to hit that and, and, and see this a little bit later in our readings today. But I, I think it's just it's just super worthy to yeah. to even get into it now, so that as we're looking and we're as we're examining and putting the context of this passage together, we um, have the opportunity to see Christ, because that that's really at the heart of this this whole thing is is, is that faithfulness reveals the nature of God. And that, and that's this is the whole thing. I mean, the, the, keep 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 going on this. I mean, you have a thirty year old, thirty something year old guy carrying the wood for his own sacrifice up his mountain. I mean, the, the, the resemblance to Christ is uncanny. And the, the funny thing is that, funny thing, if this is a funny story. I mean, you get to the top of the mountain and, and you have Isaac who's like, all right, where's the, where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? It's, it's actually unclear. If you really read this carefully, it's unclear to me whether Isaac knew what was going on or not. I think he kind of did. <coughs> I think he did have a sense of this. And Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, this is really interesting, actually gives this um, – kind of a commentary on the story and it tells us that according to hebrews abraham actually believed while this was all going on that god had the power to raise isaac back from the dead so you have a 30 something year old guy hauling the wood for his own sacrifice on the mountain the potential for him to be killed but abraham's belief that if he is he will be raised from the dead which i find a really really profound image i mean really we we so this story has always bothered me a lot. 
and I've never been able to sort of reconcile and understand like, why would God do that? Great. He spared him at the last minute, and he provided a ram or a lamb to be sacrificed in his place, which is great, and I, I see all the typology there, but Jeez, why make this guy go through it in the first place? I mean, is it just to trust? Is it okay that Abraham was willing to kill his son? I mean, what do we do with all that? And yeah. I, I had to change my mindset from not just, okay, what a mean, mean God God is being. Why would he do this? To, well, wait a second. What's happening here? <coughs> Could it be that God is allowing Abraham not just – he's not just making him do something bad or mean or, or weird – but he's allowing Abraham to actually enter closer than any other human being, perhaps, into what the God of the universe is actually going to experience. Yes. Giving his only begotten son up on a mountain to be sacrificed. That he's letting Abraham in on that emotion, that, that feeling, what that is like. And the only difference in the two stories, really, is that there's no hand that stays the sacrifice on Calvary, right? There's no replacement. It actually is his son but this isn't well, just it is it is it is god providing the <coughs> lamb that is promised in from abraham yeah and th that's the thing that i think is just absolutely critical for us to recognize and to embrace yeah absolutely that that's the biggest thing yeah totally so there you is, go yeah is is that in and what's so cool about this is like i um um I am watching and and seeing um, Israel in those of this promise. That's why the, like all the temple sacrifices, in a certain sense, are oriented towards God providing the lamb. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that okay, that you you you've created my segue into the psalm because I've struggled with the psalm a little bit. Um, oh. So psalm, psalm one sixteen. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Number one, I mean, you you, you can you can kind of glean some face value things. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Abraham's whole vocation, which he fails at often, is to walk before the Lord. That's what he's asked to do in the land of the living. I mean, he's got this trust. Again, if the author of the Hebrews is correct, there's this trust that God could even raise him from the dead because he's not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. So, so keeping that focus. But here's the thing. Uh, the way the Psalm 116 sort of works, it begins with this. I tried to take it apart grammatically this last week and try to get to the original languages. Yeah, <laughs> just a little. And what it actually says, the first line there says, I believed, I believed. And it doesn't just say, I believe. Well, it does, okay, let me just, I'll cut to the chase. What it says is, I believed, and grammatically speaking, it has no object. It's a very weird little phrase. It just says, I believed. Later on in the, in the, in the psalm, it says, I loved, or actually earlier on. So there's these two kind of, emblematic verses that pop out of Psalm 116. I believed and I loved. And scholars have been really confused by those because, again, they're sentences that have no object. I believed in what? I, I, I loved whom? I loved what? There's no object to those. It's purposely sort of left blank. And the reason I think that's a neat little application, again, I don't know if the, you know, the, the, the wisdom in the church, I, I don't know who's putting these together, but I think it's fascinating that those two kind of emblematic passages from this psalm speak to the fact that we are called to believe even when we can't quite see the object of what we're believing. We are called to love even when we can't quite see the object of what we're loving. We know what it we, is. Yeah, we know it's there, but the we have a sort of Which is the whole story blindness. of Abraham. That's exactly right. 
the and whole it's, story it's, of Abraham. And it's our story too. We walk in this sort of blindness. And we have to kind of deal with that. We have to reconcile in our own lives the sheer blindness that we have to move forward with and kind of be okay with that. And that's what the psalm is giving us permission to do. Say, hey, look what, look at it. You walk in the land of the living. Therefore, you can believe and you can move forward because you know the God that's calling you. Even if you have, you know, a, a blinders on, you can actually trust even if you can't quite see. And again, that is the whole story of Abraham. So in this passage that's very weird and kind of confusing, we're being told by the psalm, if you don't get it, that's actually okay because there actually is an object, but you can't see it yet. It is the person of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't make sense to Abraham quite yet, even though he's got inklings towards it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes it. I mean, it's as crystal clear as I can understand. But I thought that little grammatical piece was really interesting, and it's the, it's the one thing that stuck with me when I, I say this last week. Yeah, I believed. I loved. Yeah, cool. Yeah, which propels us right into to Romans. It does propel us right in there. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a segue, but I sure know it propels us because we believe and we love. Yeah, look at you. <laughs> yes. Uh. Who shall? So, so um, he did not. Sp- he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us as well. Will he not also give us all things with him? And and there there's like no wait a second. Okay, talk to me. You can't you can't just jump right to that. You missed the whole. Well, this this comes in the midst of one of my favorite passages. But but this is the tail end of Romans eight, which this is a big part of my whole dissertation that I'm working on here in England. Which is that th- this is this is the the end of what I think is the climax of all of Paul's theology. Right, chapter eight. This is where he, he kind of brings everything together. And what he does in chapter eight is reveal something to us, which is that the community in Rome that he's been speaking to is being very, very persecuted. They're getting really beat up as a church in, in big, crazy ways, right? And this oh, is that whole passage. Oh, yeah. Well, do you remember that passage that says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or the sword? That's this yeah. passage, and it comes right after what we get. It's the next line, in fact. So in the midst of this, Paul says, brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? In the midst of your suffering and your persecution and your distress and your sword and everything else that you're dealing with, remember, be like Abraham, who actually had to believe, not quite knowing the object of his belief. Be like Abraham, knowing the God that you walk with is the God who walks in the land of the living. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God has promised Abraham, how can good not actually come of this how can abraham not believe according to hebrews that his son will be raised from the dead because surely that's what god has to do so if you look at your life and you realize wow i'm getting really beat up well if god is for you who can possibly be against you what is actually the good that's being brought out of that because and he goes on then like you said he who did not spare his own son but handed us over for us all will he not give everything else along with him um I had a friend who gave a great analogy about this. And this is oh, this is like cool. a fourth-hand story. But I just really like it. It stuck oh. with me. So um, a friend of mine, well, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about adoption. But um, a friend of mine had a professor in college who um, was, it was a very big role model for him. And this professor had adopted a child from China, right? And he, he, he applied this to this Romans 8 passage. So, you know, 
this guy, this professor of his, and he, you know, he missed like months of classes because he had to be in China and doing all these things and the paperwork and having residence over there and all this stuff, right? So he, he, he and his wife do all this stuff. They pay tons of money. They're making these constant trips back and forth to China, dealing with the communist government, doing all this stuff so that, <coughs> excuse me, so that they can adopt this child who they love, so they can bring this child home. And imagine after, you know, months and months of arduous work and paperwork and money and flights back and forth, they finally get the green light to go through with the adoption. And it's like saying, you know, how could he not, you know, but we're not, you know, that last trip, that last one, that's just too expensive. That's just gonna, what's going to put it over the top. We just can't afford that last flight. So I guess the adoption's off. Like, you could, you could never imagine that. How could he who gave us everything... Uh, who handed over his son, who's done all this, how can he not give everything else along with it? How could the person who's trying to adopt, if he's done all this, how could he not make that final trip overseas and bring his kid home? That's, that's the analogy, and, and he shared that with me, and I was just really struck by that because yeah. that's the analogy. He gave his son for Pete's sake. What else <coughs> will he not give you? What is there in your life that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with, that you're feeling like God's absent in, that he's not going to reconcile because he's done everything. And that would be like him not getting on the plane and going and bringing his son home. God not dealing with the things that really are happening in our lives, in our lives, in the lives of the Romans. All this stuff is like God not getting on the plane and doing the rest of the job. That's absurd if you actually understand what God has done for us. That's a really beautiful analogy and a Isn't really that cool? great way. Yeah, a great way to understand how the salvation that is really coming to us is wrought in a full way as we come to Christ. Yeah, it's just putting the icing on the cake, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not, to, make, not to make our struggles trite, but... Well, because it becomes encounter. This is the thing, is that, yeah. that, last, that last final moment, all the preparation work and all those things, yeah. and then, then the, the intense interpersonal connection that get, then flows out of that is really beautiful and powerful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's kind of cool. Me too. Which propels us propels up onto us another mountain. To our the to Transfiguration. Yeah, to the yeah. to the second mountain, the second peak of the Transfiguration. Woo! The peak <laughs> of the reading. Yeah. You better believe it. We are a disaster, you guys. Sorry about all this, but geez. Yeah, I We're know. We're trying to hold I, it together. I'm like I, I'm doing all the oregano oil that I can possibly get into my system, and I've had I'm every like, cough drop in the city of Oxford. I think I've had so many. That's a lot of cough drops. Do you not have one in now? No, I I finished them all. Oh, I have one, but I it's a uh, oh that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sipping tea though, so it's okay. Okay. Oh, so that's good. Mark, yeah. Mark chapter nine. Man, which which by the way, the the homiletic directory actually goes through um, uh, all of the gospels for the Sunday of Lent. They didn't have time to go no. through all of the readings, yeah, and and wow. it kind of draws out a, a bunch of different points to talk about. Like, and one of the main ones that uh, that I saw is because the forty days of Lent are oriented towards Easter. Everything is pr is 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 moving us in that direction. That. Um, because of that, we are um, the the transfiguration. It, we're, we're being pointed out towards um, uh, what Easter is going to be is is the revelation of God in its kind of full glory. Cool. 
Yeah, and it prepares awesome. the elect to, to receive the sacraments of the initi- of initiation, which is awesome. That is cool. Yeah. Nice. <coughs> well, then let's throw our take onto it. Let's so, take let's take it up. Okay, so so uh, this is it's we here's what we have to do. We have to think we have to think like the church and what the church is telling us. And so really in a certain sense what we have to do is take what the church has given us and conform our minds to it. So what we're seeing here is you know, a first reading about Abraham taking his son up on a mountain to be sacrificed where God will um, spare him in a way of prefiguring what he's ultimately going to do for all of us. Dude, and then I just the church got is, Okay. Well, I just got it, just but finish, keep, keep but, going. Yeah, but yeah. then the church, the church is saying, you need to read that in light of the transfiguration of Jesus. When Jesus goes up on a mountain with his two closest disciples, uh, three closest disciples, and is transfigured into... And is transfigured, and they see Elijah and Moses, the the prophets, and the law, and the, the embodiment of the law and the prophets there with Jesus, talking to him, talking about his own crucifixion. So the church is saying, you need to read the story of Abraham in light of this. All right, go for it. Okay, so what the church is doing last weekend, we had Jesus's first announcement of his passion. Mm. So what the church Wait, is the doing. Yeah, and so wh- what what the church is doing is is in some sense the first reading is almost tied to last weekend, is that we're, so what we're doing is we're getting a a wider longer segue. So we're saying yes, the passion leads to the resurrection, to the transfiguration. Even though the transfiguration temporally is out of time, it helps us to actually point towards that. I think we should all drive wider longer segues than what the cops have. Uh, Sorry, that was stupid. I, it was it was funny in my head. Okay, just keep going. Plow right it's through okay. that. It's okay. Because Paul Blart, they're having a uh, Paul Blart m- mall cop. They're having a sequel come out. Oh, yeah, I saw the oh. preview. He's a good Catholic, oh. the guy who plays Paul Blart, by the way. Is he? He's, yeah, well, he's friends, cool. with, friends with Scott Hahn. Oh, hot dog. Yeah, so go, uh, there go you Paul. go. Go, go, Paul. It looks like a totally absurd comedy, but I'm sure. now gonna I'm now I'm going to take a segue past that. Okay, okay, come back to it. Sorry, what did you say? I was thinking about the segues. Oh, I was just saying that that um that what we're seeing is that last weekend the 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 passion leads into an we we see the connection between last weekend's um oh, talk oh. of the passion into this and now oh, oh. talk hit me hit me yeah no well uh, okay okay what 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 okay okay uh, take this for what you will. Okay. What Abraham needs, and th- this, you know, notice that God doesn't call him to do something like this early on in his journey because he's just not ready for it. But here, toward the toward the end of his life, frankly, you get God calling him to do something that looks on the surface, frankly, absurd, right? But God can sort of do that because he's trusting. Look, I've revealed a lot to you. I've shown you who I am. <laughs> I've made promises to you. You've walked with me. You've seen me. I've prepared you for doing the seemingly absurd. Does that make sort of sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, so what's Jesus doing? Jesus is going to do the absurd. He's going to be the king, the, the, the Lord, the Christos, who is going to be handed over and killed by his enemies, which is so absurdly opposite of everything the Jewish mind was was expecting, the Roman 
thought, talk about messianism, the, the, the imperial cult, everything in the world and culture and society, <coughs> there's no value in what he does. It's so utterly and completely absurd. And what Jesus is going to ask his disciples to do is to stick with him through that and actually to carry that message on. So what is he doing? This is Jesus preparing his disciples like he prepared Abraham for all that time to do the absurd because we know the topic of their conversation and actually it doesn't say it here but in <coughs> excuse me in the gospel of Luke it tells you their topic of conversation and their topic of conversation Luke says was the was the exodus <coughs> sorry the exodus that Jesus would accomplish at Jerusalem the passion is what their discussion is so when they're up there and he's in, he, he's He's shown with Moses and Elijah the law and the prophets. Because Pope Benedict had a great um, reflection on this. He says what's happening is the law and the prophets, all of the law and the prophets are speaking to Jesus. All of the law and the prophets are speaking about Jesus. All of the law and the prophets are, are discussing the passion of Jesus, quite frankly. They're all pointing. We just don't always have the eyes to see it. So what yeah. Jesus, I think, is subtly and slowly doing is preparing his disciples and in turn preparing us to go into the world and do the absurd, trusting, as Romans said, that we, if we have a God who also who gave his only begotten son, how will he not provide everything else for us? He's giving us the, the, the weaponry and the confidence to actually go in the world and do the absurd. That's awesome. And it's also so true about what's being asked of of the new uh, entrance into the church of those in RCIA and oh, of us all together. Yeah. Good point. Good connection. Ooh. Yeah. That came at, at, at minute 33.33 seconds of the podcast, by the way. Yeah, baby. 33 minutes, 33 seconds, baby. Boom. Dude, that's awesome. That That is. I, I mean, I don't know if we can even say anything more. I don't think there is anything. Does anything we add on to that will just be something stupid. I can guarantee that. <laughs> that much well, I know. Well, gosh, everybody, thank you for joining us on our, on on a dual across the pond sick day for Scott Powell <laughs> and myself. Yes, indeed. And uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, send us a message. Thank you for those who have sent us a message. Uh, sorry if we haven't gotten back to you quick enough, but we'll yep. we'll get back to you uh, as soon as uh, humanly possible. <laughs> Your call is important to us. It will be answered <laughs> in 25 <laughs> days. No. Uh, we sorry about we the, love you guys. We love you. Thanks. Sorry about the coughing and keep it real. Don't oh, fake yeah. the funk. Don't fake it. And check out our, our uh, one of our sponsors, Baraboom. Great software. Boom. I've been using it writing my um, dissertation. So you can write a dissertation. You can write a podcast. You can write a homily with it. You can do whatever you want. I'm using it as my Bible as I'm here, and I don't have my physical Bible, so it's fantastic stuff. Check them out. Link fifty uh, percent off with the coupon code Lanky Guys. And I have to say that I oh. yeah, and I love it. I mean, you guys, uh, I'm Scott. Scott Powell is way more advanced than me in his studies, um, and I'm a little bit more elementary, and I like studying in a totally different way, and yet it accommodates both of us, and it is really profound. It it, it can it can hook you up with deeper knowledge, no matter where you're at. So, and so if you're sorry about my. If you're sorry about my dangling participle. That's fine. And if you're a student at Franciscan University and you're trying to get a date, Verbum is a great way to, to find a good pickup line to ask a girl out because they love that stuff. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll see you next week, you guys. God bless you. Farewell. Bye.
The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.